you know, uh, you, you don't want to buy into that consumerism. Well, I, uh, I clearly <laughs> do, but I don't want to tell people how to spend their money. I'm just saying, if you think you want it, it won't be there tomorrow. I, and that's fair. I mean, because that's an important thing for people to go into this kind of thing, knowing because there's a lot of even collectors who can be a little indecisive. They think, well, maybe I can get a better price somewhere else or maybe whatever. Come in prepared, have an idea of what it is you're looking for. Know your collection to know like where's your holes in your collection? What are you looking for? And what's generally a, a you know, a good price for the item you're looking for. And then you're right. You got to just buy it. If you see it, buy it. You can always resell it if it's if you regret it later, but you're not going to get a second chance. You are not. You are not. There are sometimes price breaks. There was uh, one business that was there selling only Transformers. They had made their whole business of selling very exclusive Transformers. And well, Paul, they're more than meets the eye. They are. And this one that I'm about to tell you about was... It's going to blow my eyes right up. <laughs> it is. It was a dancing Optimus Prime. Shut up. That you could control with your phone... And load in like different moves and things. Uh, you know what though? Optimus absolutely strikes me as a man who can dance. I mean, he's charming. You know, you he's, can, he's exciting. You can check it out on our Instagram. I, is it correct to even call him man? Is that right? Should, well, I, should I have been a little bit more? More like a correct being, sentient. Right. Uh, I'm not it, sure. He's a creature of the world <laughs> who I expect that would absolutely woo the But that would have been $1,200. But wow. at the show... Hey, they had it marked down to $800. So, you know, if you needed a dancing Optimus Prime, this was your time to get it. So now we have a dancing Optimus Prime. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we better not. <laughs> That's what that second suitcase was. There were, let's see, uh, big uh, booths for like Netflix and Marvel and Disney studios television and fox animation which is where the bob's burgers wonder wharf was at there was uh dan Harmon has a cartoon coming out it's only coming out so no one knows if it's going to be good but it's called crapopolis and they had a booth they're part of the fox animation group and then just wall-to-wall -wall smaller vendors creators people making their individual comic book dreams come true by getting it printed and trying to sell it at comic-con it's a very crowded venue to try to make that dream come true but there's no better place to try to get some attention than san diego comic-con like i mentioned in an earlier podcast, thanks to various press panel commitments, I wasn't able to do any of the Hall H stuff on day three. But day three being Saturday, that's when they bring out the big stuff. That's when they bring out their biggest panels. So that's the day they bring out the Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon spinoff, and the big Marvel panel. Even though it's Comic-Con and people think comics... Marvel, DC, these must be like automatic that they would come to that. It is not. You can go to San Diego Comic-Con and neither DC nor Marvel will be there. This was a year where Marvel was there, but DC didn't really have a very big presence at all. So Marvel came and showed their path forward for what they're calling Phase 5 and Phase 6, including future TV shows, movies, when to expect the next Avengers movie, um, which won't be for a while, and this next batch of movies, big supervillain. Last time we had Thanos, this time it looks like it may be Kang the Conqueror. Who knows? Kang. 
Yeah, we'll see. Um, people are always curious about how the X-Men and Fantastic Four are going to come into the, the universe. So I think there's a plan for Fantastic Four, but we're still kind of hazy on X-Men. With D23 being later this year, which is Disney's own version of Comic-Con for their own properties, people were kind of worried whether or not Marvel would come to this. And they did. And they seem to bring a lot of a lot of great information that people are very excited about. I didn't get to see it firsthand, though. I had to read it all after the fact. What I did get to see, though, was the Cartoon Network panel on three shows. Craig of the Creek, We Baby Bears, and Teen Titans Go! Also featuring who? Tara Strong. For We Baby Bears, they brought along the child actors who voice act the baby bears which is a spin-off of we bear bears these are not shows that i typically watch and then for teen titans they had greg sipes who plays beast boy who is an adult whose voice sounds exactly like his cartoon voice and then also tara strong who plays raven big crowd pleaser panel not a lot of exclusive information there but it was cool to see the actors behind the voices the actor who plays Beast Boy had like a cowboy hat or a sombrero or something and then like brought along a chihuahua. A guy with a lot of personality there. I had to kind of bide my time a little bit with that panel because I needed to make sure that I was ready to go for the Orville press panel, which was in the same building a little later. Now, this one I feel a little funny about because we covered the Orville season one and i have since watched the orville season three with you and i have to say the show changed so much if people go back and listen to our or our orville our orville coverage for season one i mean we were kind of harsh at times you know about the jokes and how everything was sort of presented and the show has really changed a lot now, I don't know much about how shows go about doing that or choosing to sort of change their tone. What did you think when you were learning more about how the Orville has sort of evolved? I asked the actors that they had available for us about that. The actor behind the uh, mask for Isaac, a man named Mark Jackson, said he thinks of it like the various seasons of the Orville, one, two, and three, represent kind of phases of the show growing up. He called it, I think he called it something like preschool, middle school, and college, or something, something like that. Okay. And it was essentially like the show finding its voice, where it doesn't, it hasn't exactly lost the humor per se, but some of the sophomoric approach to the humor with like pranks and stuff like that being pulled on various characters. They don't do that anymore. They still have things that people would say in real life that would be funny in the moment as part of the script. That season one had like a Saved by the Bell in outer space feel. I mean, it was pretty goofy stuff. And they don't really do that stuff anymore. And they anymore. really don't do that anymore. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you tried out the Orville at the beginning and were like, this is not for me, I would highly suggest you go back and, you know, you can skip season one altogether if you want to, um, or maybe just sort of be like doing some other things while you're watching it. But season two, morphing into season three, and definitely season three, has a completely different vibe that I think that, you know, those people who really enjoy Star Trek or really any kind of sci-fi based, we're on a ship and we have to have this life so what does it look like to have kids and different professions and relationships and you know dealing with other species and all this kind of stuff i mean i think it does it as well as you know some of the star treks that i've seen i know people who are true fans will like choke me for that but i definitely 
was surprised at how much it had matured and, you know, become a really much more thought-provoking show. I mean, the couple of episodes I watched with you, they were dealing with some really kind of serious things like suicide, you know, or bullying or, you know, that type Gender of thing. Gender identity. Right. That were really different people could relate to and they were being handled sensitively and thoughtfully and, you know, much more than just like poop jokes or pull your pants down kind of stuff that was really happening in season one. You know, there was a lot of just goofiness that was happening. The gravity of the show has definitely increased. Uh, they wouldn't commit to plans for a season four. They say it's very much dependent on people turning out to watch it. So if this sounds like something you, you're interested in, go to Hulu, watch it. The show will be available all three seasons on Disney Plus on August 10th. You know, Disney Plus is, is has a has a setting in your account that allows you to see mature rated stuff. You can turn that off if you don't want your kids to be able to watch like Logan or Deadpool or the Orville. But if you have it turned on, then the full library is available to you. A lot of people don't know about that switch, though. That's good to know. I don't yeah. think I knew about that switch. Yeah. <laughs> well, you think Disney Plus, you assume it's going to be. You know, right, all Cinderella and all movies. And, but that's, yeah. I mean, it's important to remember, you know, that's something that I think over time has become more mainstream to understand that things like animated shows are not always for children or even remotely appropriate for children. And that's one of those things, though, I think that it's taken a lot of time for people. I mean, I think our parents see animated and assume that's, you yeah. know, Snow White, you know, that's, right. that's, that's nothing for adults. So really good reminder, just because Disney slaps its name on it, they have acquired a lot of different franchises now and a lot of different characters that are not kid-friendly. So be careful. During the regular Orville press panel, uh, Seth MacFarlane was able to join us with the video Zoom technology, whatever they used. And he was very responsive to questions. You know, with the other cast members on stage, it wasn't so off-putting to have just one person, you know, using the video technology. Like I said, he was very much answering questions as they came to him. He even did Stewie's voice for us, which, you know, the, the crowd loved. <laughs> they all, like, <laughs> pulled down each other's pants. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. That's hilarious. Well, I love that. And, you know, it's always awesome when you have the creator and, and the main star of the show at a panel and you can really get more answers as to like you know what's the what's the thinking behind a show why did you create it what is the point of this what do you want audiences to be feeling about it especially this year like i said with this big tone switch and this maturing of the show there would be a lot of interest in this so i hope that orville fans or even those who tried the orville and decided it was not for them are uh, willing to listen to your interview and check it out and kind of give it you know another look speaking of something coming back from a while ago. I was able to attend a press conference for the new AMC Plus miniseries, kind of a reinterpretation of Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. Now, this is so funny, Paul, because we were in like, would you say, I don't know, end of middle school, early high school, somewhere around there when Interview with, a, with the Vampire came out. And man, I just 
didn't really remember it. And so I know you went back and watched some of it and kind of recoiled at yeah. some of what you saw. It's funny, as, as I would kind of recount that for other reporters that I was sitting there with, I was not getting a lot of agreement. A lot of them have fond memories of it and have memories like... Memories are one thing though. See, I'm going to stop you right there because I have fond memories of it too. People really romanticized Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, you know, the whole, you know, oh my God, they're so sexy and just the whole thing. And when you look at a picture of those, those leading men, you know, that was the, that was the prime man. They were hot business. But like you said, when you actually went back and watched it, uh, our memories may deceive us. I don't think it holds up myself. Maybe I'm unfairly comparing it to modern TV or movies, but it just doesn't hold up for me. So, but why? Tell why? Because, because I mean, obviously these people were pushing back on you. So, what's up? I thought that the choice of the actors was done to sell the tickets because you know Brad Pitt, Tom we Cruise, Antonio props. Banderas, yeah, big, big deal. However, you're supposed to be representing late 1700s, highly French. Louisiana, and you have a couple of actors who are not really renowned for their accent work doing those roles. And I don't know what would have been right, except it just never sounds right listening to them perform uh, Louis and, and Lestat. Uh, maybe my expectations have gotten askew, but... Um, <laughs> And then there was like jump scares and weird sound effects with jump scares, which for the kind of the serious tone of the of the film overall don't really work for me because it's almost like zoinks and, and you know, the vampire <laughs> shows up behind you. So they are updating it. They have made Louis a black character, which is very different than the the character in the book the character in the book was a plantation owning slave owning white person so already very different than the book the show is being produced by a guy named mark johnson who is a very prolific movie and tv producer and a writer named rollin jones who uh wrote for like friday night lights and some other some other things and they kept reiterating throughout that although they felt like they needed to update aspects of the book and the story especially for modern times and modern sensibilities they never dismissed the book as just inspiration or 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 a product of its of its time and and that kind of thing like they always wanted to get back to what they felt like the spirit of the book was it sounds to me like this material was kind of aching for a little bit of an update in terms of like, you know, certainly we always have that sort of creature of the time, uh, you know, like, is it a zombie time? Are we living on zombies? Are we living on werewolves? Do we love a vampire? You know, what are we into? And it does seem like vampires were a while ago with Twilight, you know, I feel like. And but then now we have what we do in the shadows and that's being popular again. And so bringing this back, it's making me feel very like we're going to start to see some blood sucking neck sucker people. People coming I, back here. I think you're right. And I can I can understand why problematic what what we have with going on with the original storyline. You know, uh, Kirsten Dunst was a very young girl in that storyline. I don't know if it'll exactly run the, the same way, but there's a lot of stuff in there where I can say that modern watchers 
are going to want something a little more complex. They're not going to just want to sit back and say like, oh, I'm cool with sort of like lapping up just a heartthrob doing kind of questionable things, yeah. right? They want, and, and this story is interesting, you know, the premise, but they're going to have to do something to kind of bulk it up. So cool that they took sort of, you know, a nostalgic piece for all of us and, and are going to try to sculpt it a little bit differently. And and they they beefed up the interview part of the interview with the vampire. I don't know if you recall, but that was just sort of like a loose framework where every so often they would kind of check back in. But now I think the interviewer is going to have some element of his own plot because they brought in a, an actor named Eric Bogosian who you don't know his name, but take a look at his face and you be oh, okay, I've seen him in a hundred things. Okay. And so they brought in a, a reasonably well-known actor to play a role that now has some, some purpose as opposed to in the book and in the, in the movie, it was just like a narrative device. Yeah. Just, just, I know I, I want to collect the story. Keep telling me the story. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, when is that coming out? When can we expect it? This fall. Cool. Okay. So definitely you guys check that one out and, and you know, we'd love to hear your feedback compared to the original, watch the original, tell us what you think. Tell us, you know, did they do a good job? Does it hold up for you or not? Want to know what your opinions are. And then my final panel was sort of iffy for me, but I decided to go, even though it was late. It was the Troma 50th anniversary celebration panel. If you don't know what Troma is, you might be too young. Oh, <laughs> but well, 50th anniversary for goodness sakes. I don't know, Paul, we're too young. Do you remember Up All Night movies? Well, sure. Okay. Troma supplied. But I think you said that wrong. Up All Night. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Troma supplied most of those movies. Okay. So like the low budget sex and kind of gross out comedies of the of the eighties, that's what Troma made. They made the Toxic Avenger that's funny. and uh like Nukem High and just You never these... stop to think about who makes those movies, right? You just enjoy them for what they are. Yeah, well they still make them. They're just sort of infrequent and um, you know, various well-known actors and, and creators got their start with Troma, like James Gunn was a writer for Troma. Trey Parker and Matt Stone had their first movie, like, put out by Troma. You can find, like, Kevin Costner's on one of their, one of their movies. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's you can do uh, a little who's who. Go back and watch. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it's mostly who's not who in, in those movies. <laughs> who did not make it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's just a, it's just an odd sensibility. Well, that... so then what was the what was the vibe of this anniversary panel? Was it like thank you for this really specific slice of the pie that you gave us? Basically, yeah. It was a reasonably full room. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman was there, who is the founder of Troma, who is also like the main director. And and guiding force behind Troma. They've been in New York this whole time. You know, for having this kind of irreverent, I mean, supremely irreverent uh, sense of humor and sense of how to make film and that kind of stuff, you get the sense like he just would do anything he could to help filmmakers make their thing happen. He can't put much money into it, but he'll help you as, as best he can, which is a, which is a really you know, endearing quality about the guy. So he had brought along a couple of actors from, from his shows. He brought along, um, I guess, a, a writer that he had made both trauma movies and Hallmark movies. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, genre heavy. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he's uh, he swings wide, I guess that guy. Um, <laughs> or not, or just like he he likes he likes this type and he likes this type. Exactly, maybe. But it was it was fun to 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 be in the room with you know people that enjoyed that kind of of cinema. You know, I have a soft spot for, it, but I don't make much time for it because it is you know not really <laughs> that rewarding to put much time into it. But it is still. I don't know, semi-inspiring to see people that that have this idea, they don't have any money, they make the movie anyway, and there it is for you to see. I think that's extremely inspiring and really great that they are celebrated for what they contribute to, you know, our pop culture world. That's really what it's all about. Sometimes it's not this really heady, really sophisticated content that comes out, but it's still beloved and you and you still have those memories. I mean, for God's sake, you knew how exactly how to say up. All night, right? <laughs> right. Because we know all about these movies. And, and that's hilarious because we really weren't, I really wasn't watching them, but we just know that one part, right? Right. So that's like really, you know, it's a big contribution to pop culture. And I love it. I love it that cons can have those moments where we can celebrate everyone with their imagination and what they created. And it's not always going to be a Mona Lisa, but it can still be totally loved. That was a late panel for me. Yeah. Nine o'clock. You know so. what? We're going to talk about day four and tips and tricks of how to, you know, what to be wearing, what you want to bring with you, what you don't want to be wearing, what you don't want to bring with you, um, because definitely fatigue is sitting in after day three. So this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Stick around and listen to day four coming up. Please subscribe over at Pod Clubhouse so you don't miss any of these episodes. We're going to be all over the United States checking out things that are going on all year long. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.